people sometimes say, Pastor, why, why don't you sing newer songs? That is a new song. Ron Hamilton, all of his songs are new. My lifetime, my adult life mostly. Um, it's just that his songs, that song is right out of the book of Job. His songs were written biblically, scripturally, and in that case, as in almost every other case, from his own experience with the Lord. He had cancer in an eye, and they were told him, they told him when he went into surgery, if it was savable, he would wake up with both eyes. If he didn't, he would lose an eye. And he woke up without an eye, and he wrote that song, I Shall Come Forth as Gold. And sure enough, the Lord used that. He became Patch the Pirate and wrote hundreds of songs and children's songs. Bless my family, my kids. And so um, we'll sing all the new songs they have, amen, all of them, when they're that biblical and uh, that strong. First Kings chapter 17. As we read these verses, I want you to notice in this very familiar narrative, this all-important word, it's the word there. Verse 4 says, And it shall be that thou shalt drink of the brook, and I have commanded the ravens, to feed thee, here's the word, there. So he went and did according unto the word of the Lord, for he went and dwelt by the brook Cherith, that is before Jordan. And the ravens brought him bread and flesh in the morning, and bread and flesh in the evening, and he drank of the brook. And it came to pass after a while that the brook dried up, because there had been no rain in the land. And the Lord, word of the Lord came unto him, saying, Arise, get thee to Zarephath, which belongeth to Zidon, and dwell, here it is again, dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow woman there, there to sustain thee. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. And I know, Lord, that um, there are folks in this room that need to hear specifically this, but all of us need to hear it and be reminded, and especially in these days in which we're living. We also know that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. And that Jesus said that man should not live by bread alone, but every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God, every word. Thank you for this word, because it, the promise that it holds in Jesus' name, amen. I want you to look again. Now, again, let's look at this specific command and this word to his servant Elijah, verse 4. And it shall be that thou shalt drink of the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed thee there. Verse 9, arise and get thee to Zarephath, which belongeth unto Zidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a woman, a widow woman, there to sustain thee. Now, I think you should know tonight that this word there, some of you do know this, is the Hebrew word shama. And as you can imagine, as a very common adverb, it's a word that's found all through the Old Testament. But in one especially notable instance, it's coupled with the name of God himself. In fact, let me ask you a question. The question is this. It's about a couple of books or three or four books in the Bible. And we'll start with the first book of Scripture, which is the book of Genesis. And the question is, do you know, without looking at it right now, do you know what it says in the final four or five words of that amazing book that we're, Lord willing, going to study all this summer? What is the last thing that Moses wrote in that book? Well, it's the four words, a coffin in Egypt. Odd way to end a book, a great book, except that Thousands of years later, that same issue comes up in the book of Hebrews concerning faith and the bones of Joseph. The last four words of the book of Exodus are throughout all their journeys. Very applicable. The last words of 1 Timothy are grace be with thee. And then you can go yourself and look at the book of Acts, the gospel of John, and so forth. 
In literature, I still remember the last words of Daniel Defoe's Robinson Crusoe. He wrote, sort of hinted at a sequel when he wrote these words, a farther account hereafter. And of course, Charles Dickens in A Christmas Carol, the last words of that book are, God bless us everyone, as you know. And oftentimes it's true that the last words of a book carry a specific meaning in the context. And so I wonder tonight if, if you realize that that's true of another book in the Bible. I suppose it's never been more true of a book in the one instance which highlights this word that we're going to look at tonight in Elijah's life, and it is the word there. In this case, it's the last chapter of Ezekiel's prophecy, chapter 48 and verse 35. In fact, I think they'll put it up there for you. You notice the last words are, the Lord is there. That's the Hebrew word, Jehovah Shammah. You're looking at the translation of Jehovah Shammah is, the Lord is, I said the word there is Shammah. The Lord is there. And you know, just as we see with Elijah, the word Shammah, it was this glorious truth that the prophets needed and that we all need, I think as well, constant reminder in our service to God. Elijah, go to the brook Cherith because you, will go, you are going to be fed there, Shammah. You will be fed there. You will also hear my word there. And when he does hear the word, the next word is, go to Zarephath, Elijah, and I'm going to provide for you what? I'm going to provide for you there. In fact, go anywhere, Elijah. Anywhere. Go anywhere, Ezekiel. Go anywhere, Beacon Baptist Church, member, uh, believer in this room. Because what you will find is that Jehovah Shammah, the Lord is there. And you know, beloved, if you think about it, when it comes to Satan's strategies, and he has strategies, we're told in the Bible, when it comes to his devices, it's pretty clear that the deception, the lie that most is associated with discouragement, and many people think that's his greatest tool, discouragement, the lie that's most associated with discouragement is leading people to believe that they're alone, that God has left them. It happened with Job. It happened with Paul. And John and Elijah soon, if you just read a few more pages, you'll find he's going to say, I alone, I am a left alone. I'm the only one left. So common is this lie supported by our feelings and our circumstances that affect our feelings. So common is the lie that God is not where you are, that God wants to assure us by reminding us that one of his titles is Jehovah Shammah. One of his very names is the Lord is there, or the Lord who is there. Even, by the way, even as the there happens to be a place of sorrow or doubt. Chapter 17, look at verse 4. And it shall be that thou shalt drink of the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed thee there. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord. For he went and dwelt by the brook Cherith, that is before Jordan. Look at verse 7. And it came to pass after a while that the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Well, that's no surprise. 
You do understand that whenever there's a drought, the brook is always the first thing to dry up. Why would God send Elijah to go a brook where the brook is going to dry up without any question? And then the next command is just as odd when it's a famine. It's verse 9. Arise, get thee to Zarephath, which belongeth to Zidon, and dwell there. Must be an amazing place of food and plenty. Behold, I have commanded a widow woman there to sustain thee. Folks, this was a widow woman. You know, we preached on this just months ago. A widow woman who has no food, no money, no strength. When Elijah shows up, she says, I have one meal left, barely. We're going to eat it and die. And God said, I want you to go there. Why? I think you know why. I can tell you why. Because Jehovah Shammah. Because the Lord is there. We noted those words were given, of course, up there to Ezekiel, who was sent in exile to Babylon. This was a young man who was taken captive, sent off. He was exiled from his homeland. And you'll remember that Ezekiel was about to experience the absolute worst moments, days, weeks, and years of his life. In particular, one day. I'm going to ask the guys to put it on the screen for me. It's Ezekiel 24. You don't need to turn there. It says this, verse 16, son of man, behold, I take away from thee the desire of thine eyes with a stroke. Now, I want you to think about this for a moment. The desire of Ezekiel's eyes was none other than his wife. And God uses this specific language to remind us that Ezekiel wasn't just married to some woman. He was married to the desire of his eyes. He was married, happily married, to the woman who lit up his eyes so that he loved and cherished and treasured his wife. I remind you that he did, she did so They were together, the Bible shows us, in exile. They were both captives in a strange land, which made her even more beloved to him. Ezekiel was 25 years of age, almost exact age of Elijah, 25 years of age when he was taken captivity during the siege of Jerusalem. Five years later, in the land of that captivity, he began his ministry. That was 593 B.C., so that he was a contemporary of Jeremiah called the weeping prophet because things were so bad in their nation. He was also with Daniel in captivity, and they were of the exact same age, and who also was carried away into Babylon. Ezekiel mentions Daniel, if you know this, in his book several times and with great admiration. But you know something? In the midst of that lonely, dark land, far away from his beloved home, nobody blessed him and nobody strengthened him, obviously more than the desire of his eyes, his wife. And yet, it is while he is there in exile that God tells Ezekiel that his wife is going to die and thus leave him alone. So that the exile is going to feel, this man who is in exile, is going to feel even more exiled than ever. And you may remember what God told Ezekiel not to do. How many of you remember? God told him not to weep, not to mourn, and not to grieve. And when the people ask you why that was the command of God, doesn't, God doesn't command every man who loses his wife or every woman who loses her husband not to weep. But he did in this case because God says, I'm going to use her death and your lack of weeping as, as a message to all the nation. 
And here's what it says. Put that on the board. Forbear to cry. Don't cry. Make no mourning for the dead. Bind tire upon thine head and put on thy shoes upon thy feet and cover not thy lips and eat not the bread of men. So I spake unto the people in the morning and at even my wife died and I did in the morning as I was commanded. Wow. Now wait a minute. I spake to the people at evening my wife died and then I did as I was commanded. Folks, the desire of his eyes was gone. He's alone in a strange land. And yet he did exactly as he was commanded? You just had the single worst time moment of your entire life and you still serve God? Yes. In his deepest sorrow, Ezekiel knew what the end of his book says, the Lord was still there. He wasn't alone at all. He's a believer. He's never alone. And beloved, I just want to stop for a moment and remind all of us here of an eternal and powerful and glorious truth that we must never lose sight of. And you'll see why I know it's a, it's a repeated truth in the Bible from the words of Jesus. For the child of God, it does not matter how rough or troubling or disappointing or dark or painful a certain place happens to be. It doesn't matter how, how fearful or full of loss. God tells the righteous man and the righteous woman. God tells the ones who lose everything. Everything that, in his case, he had had back home. And all that he has in captivity. And he shows us that he is Jehovah Shammah. That he is the Lord who's there. In Matthew chapter 14, there's the familiar words of our Lord Jesus. He told his disciples to get into a boat and go across the sea. Here's what it says in verse, chapter 14, verse 22. And straightway Jesus constrained his disciples. It's a strong word. He said, get in, go. He constrained his disciples to get into a ship and to go before him. That means without him onto the other side while he sent the multitudes away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up into a mountain to pray. Wow. The ship that he put them on went out into that sea without him. And it says this in verse 24. But the ship was now in the midst of the sea tossed with waves for the wind was contrary a storm comes up a storm comes up and jesus as far as they know is in a mountain so that the fear and the danger and the darkness and the despair of all that was going on that day was horrifying until jesus shows up and says what it is i be not afraid there was a mighty storm but the lord was with them you know, I remember one night when my dad had been away in Vietnam for several months. We were living in Satellite Beach, Florida, Patrick Air Force Base, right there in A1A and in base housing. I guess I was eight or nine, and at the time, I was helping my brother with a paper route that he had. He needed some help. He took on too much, I guess, and we were delivering papers in the wee hours of the morning, like from midnight till about five in the morning. One of our deliveries included a plate. The location included these tall buildings, like apartment buildings, and it had a pool with a high dive. And 
it was, I don't know, 2 or 3 a.m. We had delivered all the papers for that apartment building. It was really easy. You just go boom, boom, boom. And that night, we decided to sneak in and use that, that diving board. Of course we did, right? And so on my very first dive, the first dive, I jumped in. It's a high dive. I mean, a really high dive. And um, it was a 10.0. The judges gave me a 10.0, I'm pretty sure. But I went straight to the bottom, and I hit my head on the bottom, and I could taste blood in my mouth, and I was stunned and almost knocked out. My teeth were loose. And I floated to the surface, and I re- when I realized how close I came to, to being paralyzed or even dying, I remember thinking, all I want to do is go home and see my mom. I just, that, was, that was my thought. I just need mommy. Dad was in Vietnam. I told Rick I was done. He called me a sissy and whatever, you know, older brothers. And sure enough, I have to tell you, my, this is my vivid memory. When I walked into the house, of course, she was sleeping. And I went in there, and I opened the door, and I just saw my mom. That's all. I just saw her. A wave of comfort washed over me. And with my messed up mouth, and I went to bed and just fell right to sleep. So that even when I was dumb and delinquent and a dork, and I can think of a lot of Ds, I'm alliterating, right? Her presence was a comfort to me. Just her presence. Well, guess what? In chapter 19, turn ahead of just a couple pages of 1 Kings. This is a little bit later. It says this in verse 4. He himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. Now, you know this scene, right? This is after the great victory. Into the wilderness and came and sat down under a juniper tree. Same Elijah. And he requested for himself that he might die. Have you ever wanted to just die? This was one of God's greatest prophets. To the Jews today, he's considered their greatest prophet. They just want to die. Why? He just had the Mount Carmel, answer to prayer, victory. Look at it. He requested for himself that he might die. He said, it is enough now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am not better than my father's. And as he lay and slept under a juniper tree, behold, then an angel touched him and said unto him, Arise and eat. What a great picture that is. And then it says in verse 9, And he came thither unto a cave and lodged there, and behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said unto him, What doest thou here, Elijah? Isn't that good? Even there. Even there, at a place where he didn't need to be, hiding under a juniper tree, sad, discouraged, wishing for himself that he might die, an angel comes. God sends an angel. And he speaks to him later. Even in his self-pity and in his fear, we serve Jehovah Shammah. The Lord is there. But pastor, it's not today I'm worried about. I, I didn't jump off a high dive and smack my head. It's not today. It's tomorrow. It's the end times. Pastor, it's what's happening in the world. I look at the news. I watch the news and, and I can't even watch Fox. Tucker's gone now and whatever. <laughs> Just can't believe what's happening in the world. 
What did Jesus promise? Lo, I am with you even unto the end of the world. He is Jehovah Shammah. He is the Lord who is with us even to the end. For Ezekiel, he would learn the same thing, Jehovah Shammah. You may remember not long ago, well, maybe a couple years ago, we preached on Ezekiel 38. Ezekiel 38 is an amazing chapter. It foretells the future invasion of nations coming against a restored Israel. And it's absolutely amazing in part because of how accurate Ezekiel was 2,600 years ago about nation states. Way back then, God knew exactly the landscape, what the world would be like, and what he called the latter days. And it's in one of those very latter days, the definitive end of the world that you're worried about, that God reminds us that He is Jehovah Shammah. I am with you to the end of the world. Pastor, do you not see what's happening in China? Don't you see what's happening in North Korea and in the Middle East and Russia and our own country? Yes, I do. I see the darkness. I see the deception, but I also see what Ezekiel saw. The Lord is there. God's not in a corner hiding. The Lord is there. The passive, the media, this administration, the economy, this global situation. Pastor, it's the end of the world. Well, I don't know. But when it is the end of the world, I know one thing, Jehovah Shammah, the Lord will be there. That much I do know. So that in other words, even when Satan successfully motivates entire nations to go up and annihilate the nation of Israel, even then, even when after the latter days, the devil is personified in a man called the Antichrist. Even at the very end of the very, very end, the Lord is already there. Not a surprise, it's not a, an accident or a mistake. It's an event that God foresaw and prophesied and told us about over and again in the Bible. And always in those events, He shows us behind the scenes, we just finished the book of Revelation, the Lord is there. Jehovah Shammah, the Lord is there. I remember in 1987, that was the year I came here as a pastor. I was 21, uh, 29 rather, and I had just started pastoring. And that fall, that October, there was something called Black Monday. Black Tuesday is the other name they gave because of the, the time zone, time difference. And you may remember that time, the markets dropped, I think like 22%. They dropped 49% in Hong Kong. And that along with later on, it sort of toppled the SNL crisis, five-year depression, a lot of jobs, a lot of tough times. Wasn't long after that. I think a lot of guys at Pratt were moved up to Hartford just because. And in the fall of 87, people that I loved, believers, were the most concerned, worried. And it was also that fall that Edgar Wisenot wrote a book called 88 Reasons Why Jesus is Coming Back in 1988. How many of you read that book, saw that book? Oh, Okay. 88 for 88, I remember. And a lot of people read that thing. A lot of people in our church read that in 1987. Some of them even gave me the book, handed it to me, and they said to their new pastor, are you going to preach on this? 
A few weeks after Black Monday, I'm, I'm sitting in, in the old log cabin restaurant. Remember that place had the square pan with the gravy and biscuits? And it was an actual log cabin. I missed that place. I was there with one of our families. Everybody here would know them. They still come here. And we were counseling a bit. And they had that book. It was on the table. And they themselves were struggling. Our server, young lady, middle-aged lady, she was struggling. That restaurant was struggling. Wouldn't be long after that, and it closed. And as I noted, our, our whole country was struggling. And so we counseled for some things, and they left. And I remember after they left, I stayed there to study for a while, and this song came over the radio. It was a brand new song that fall by a group called REM, and it kept repeating the same line over and over again. It's the end of the world as we know it. It's the end of the world. No wonder it became number one. (laughs) It's the end of the world as we know it. The lyrics made no sense. It's the first time I ever heard it. There were just some random you know, apocalyptic words that rhymed. And then the chorus. Six o'clock news, don't get caught in foreign towers, slash, burn, return, listen to yourself, churn, escalate, automate, automotive, uh, incinerate. And none of that stuff made any sense. But then it would go to the chorus. It's the end of the world and we know it. And you know, it's funny because they played that song at least three times while I was sitting there. I want it to be the end of that song as I know it. (laughs) I had my Bible out and some notes out, and I was preparing a message on Romans 8. It's in the archive somewhere with my southern accent. No condemnation, no separation. And the server came over, and she, you know, I'd been there a long time. She said, you need anything? Are you okay? I said, well, it's the end of the world as we know it, and I feel fine. And she goes, Oh, that song. I said, no, 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 it really is. And I'm looking at my Bible. It really is the end of the world, and I really do feel fine. She thought it was crazy. <laughs> it's amazing how we sang a moment ago, standing on the promises. It's amazing how when you stand on the promises of God, and one of the promises is that the Lord is there, it's his name, how much better, how much more fine you feel. When everybody thinks everything is falling apart. You know, if you take Ezekiel's prophecy and combine all of his prophecies and combine them with John's book of Revelation that we studied, the last book of the Bible, you'll see that even at the end of the world, just like at the end of the book itself, Jehovah Shammah, the Lord, is there. He'll be there. One of the blessings I've had as a pastor for all these, these three decades, almost four, and I know it sounds odd, one of the blessings is getting to see godly people who have run their race go to heaven and be with them in those moments. 1703, a man was born by the name of John Wesley. He lived for 87 years. He preached over 40,000 sermons, traveled by horseback 4,000 miles every year. Even in his 80s, he saddled up, got on a horse, and went around as an itinerant preacher in his 80s. He gave every penny of what today would be valued at millions of dollars, every penny of it away away before he died, from pamphlets that were sold all over England and America. He was always pelted with rocks, stones by certain people, hated and beloved in both England and America. 
He finally entered glory when he was in London in 1791. And Bestie Ritchie and some others who were there in his presence wrote about his last hours, including his last words. And John Wesley's last words, he raised his hands up. He had been unanimated the whole time, and he suddenly got animated, and he raised his hands up, and he said those famous words, the best of all is God is with me. And he closed his eyes. Jehovah, Shama, the Lord is there. In your sorrows, in your victories, in your future, and you know what? As Ezekiel's last four words show that we looked at a moment ago, even in eternity, the Lord is there. He is there for you and us always. Ezekiel 48, I want you to look on the screen at these words. This is, again, part of his prophecy. Verse 30 says, And these are the goings out of the city on the north side, 4,000 and 5,500 measures. And the gates of the city shall be after the names of the tribes of Israel. These gates, three gates northward, one gate of Reuben, one gate of Judah, one gate of Levi. What's he talking about? What gates? What temple? What city? You realize there is no Jerusalem. He's talking about a beautiful temple. Solomon's temple is gone. I mean, it's a long way away. Lying in ruins. There's no such thing as a holy city. Well, actually there is. Because God is showing him eternity. And that's verse 35. It was round about 18,000 measures, and the name of the city from that day shall be the Lord is there. Wow. He's just always going to be there. This prophecy opens up with a vision that God gives to his prophet of heaven for living creatures, the amber cloud, The four wheels, high and dreadful, as you know. Ezekiel sees exactly what John saw in the book of Revelation. He said, well, it sounds weird. Okay, nice try. You try to describe, tell a blind person to describe colors. He sees eternity. He sees glory. He sees the holy city. He sees New Jerusalem. And what he sees in the end of time... And even in the last four words of this book, Jehovah Shammah, the Lord is there. And you know what? If the Lord is there in our sorrows, when the brook dries up, because he told us to go there, he led us there. And if the Lord is there at the end of the world, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. If he's with us in the storm and said, it is I, be not afraid. And if the Lord is there in all of eternity... Don't you think that we too like Ezekiel can say these words and in the morning I did as I was commanded. That's the grace of God. His presence is the grace that saves, the grace that keeps, and the grace that takes you home. You know, when Elijah was preaching and prophesying and telling the truth about God's judgment, And about his disfavor upon the people of Israel. And when he was calling them, of course, to return at the same time, there were false prophets. Ahab and Jezebel had their own liars, and they were prophesying lies. And so they are in these last days, as we were told. Elijah was called to be faithful when his message was unpopular, and unpopular even to the so-called religious crowd. 
The leaders blamed him for the drought. Sound familiar? Yeah, leadership, authorities, governments will blame believers for whatever problems they want to blame. So it wasn't easy to be constantly, consistently holding the line in his calling, but he did it. And he did it in large part because he learned and he understood the truth that the Lord is Jehovah Shammah, that our God is the Lord who is there. Pastor, I'm going away for a few months to this job. Okay, the Lord is there. Joseph was sent against his will far away. And the one thing it says the most about Joseph, whether it was at Potiphar's house and lied and blackmailed, or in that prison that he didn't belong in, the one thing it says more than anything else about that young man is the Lord was with him. With him? Ah, the Lord's with you when you win the lottery. The Lord's with you when your health is good. The Lord's with you when you get a promotion. The Lord was with Joseph in those moments. And he was with him later when he used him, as we're going to preach probably this Sunday, to be a fruitful bow. Again, I said at the beginning of the message, it's, somebody needs this in particular. The Lord knows who it is, who you are, who they are. But we all need this reminder that the Lord is with you. And God's people said, Amen. On behalf of everyone at Beacon Baptist Church, we thank you for joining us today. Our prayer is that your heart and life has been impacted through the biblical truths of this message. If you have questions or would like more information, please contact us through our website at beaconbaptistchurch.org. That's beaconbaptistchurch.org. May the Lord bless you.